I mean, I think what I, I learned is that um, I just needed someone. <laughs> I just needed someone to be there for me. Um, what I needed to recover was I, I needed support from somebody, and I found it. Welcome, beautiful thinkers. That was a clip from this interview with my friend Pilar Waters, and she's going to tell us a story about withdrawing from her family, about being alone, not knowing who to turn to, and perhaps not knowing how to ask for help during a difficult time having an eating disorder. So we'll hear more from Pilar in a moment. And you can head on over to beautifulpodcast.com. You can join the Telegram group on there if you would like to discuss the episode or perhaps you have some notes about your own experience, something you've learned from your own challenges, or you would like to hear what other people say about their own challenges or the wonderful experiences that they're enjoying in life. You can also book a coaching session with me and you'll use the coupon code BEAUTIFUL2021 to get 50% off your first session and we can go through and talk about what's going on in your life. I can ask you some key questions to start to gain other perspectives, exercise some cognitive flexibility so you can gain some insight and start to collaborate with me to put it together into an action plan so you can implement those insights in your life in a way that is practical and move forward to a place of greater contentment, fulfillment and productivity, perhaps efficiency or (laughs) inner peace. Who knows what might come when we start to explore ourselves with a little bit of help. (laughs) So you can head on over to beautifulpodcast.com. Beautiful2021 is the coupon code. And let's hear Pilar's story. This is a beautiful thought. I'm here with Pilar Waters, and she's going to tell us a story about chaos <laughs> in in her mind and maybe in her external situation and an eating disorder and how she faced herself through that process. How are you, Pilar? I'm great. Thank you for asking. How are you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm pretty good. I'm pre- pretty relaxed. Nice, lazy Sunday. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> So the story begins in that chaos. Uh, you're in high school, right? And there's certain conditions in your life that are chaotic. What is it like? What are those conditions? Yeah. Um, so I would say a few months leading up to um, the beginning of my eating disorder. Hmm. Uh, it was the summer before grade 11. I was mm-hmm. in high school. And my dad my stepdad um but who was my dad to me um Mm -hmm. had just gotten out of prison and had come home and stolen our family home which was actually under my mom's name not his how do you steal a home you enter it when no one else is there and change the locks which is actually not illegal okay (laughs) 
Um, so we have okay. But if you break something, then it's breaking and entering. But if you don't break anything, then it's okay. <laughs> I don't under, I don't understand exactly how it works. I was actually thinking about this, like in preparation for co- for coming to talk to you, and I was like, I don't I don't really know how this works. I was sixteen, and then I didn't really look into it ever again. <laughs> well, I was fifteen at the time. <laughs> I'm talking about. Okay. But yeah, house was stolen from us i guess that's like the easiest way to describe it um Uh and there must be part of this that i'm remembering wrong because i also remember (laughs) that we needed to leave suddenly so i i don't remember Mm. if it was because um so my mom and my stepdad had a very um bad relationship Mm. so him coming home from prison was not good um Mm. and we needed to leave so i remember my mom coming home and telling me and my brother um that we needed to pack up everything that we could in like five minutes and that we were going to leave for like a week Whoa. or something. So we left suddenly and then we couldn't get back in the house. That's the part of the story that I know. I think I didn't really care to know exactly how this was working, the stealing of the house and everything. Mm. Um, yeah. We ended up spending the entire summer at a friend of my mom's um, at her house. Mm. And that was the summer. Definitely. So you know, obviously a lot of chaotic things are going on. Um, yeah. So was, uh, yeah. let's, let's go back for a second. Mm-hmm. So he, he was your dad, even though yeah. he was your, your stepdad, mm-hmm. uh, he, he was your father figure and he was also what, uh, hesitate to say, I mean, he's kind of a criminal or, yes. um, yes. Okay. Yeah, definitely a criminal, a fraudster. Okay. Uh, as a father, was he a good father? No. <laughs> no, but still, you you see, you saw him as your father. Yeah, that's he's someone I I grew up with, I guess, um, from mm, the time I, I was about six years old. Okay, so how was he as a father? What, how would you describe his his uh, model uh, as an adult? I would say he was uh, like present for a couple of years. Um, yeah. Later, I think we realized that he was likely. Um, using our family for his parole officer because he had committed his fraud, fraudulent crime um, before mm. he married my mom. Hmm. Um, in hindsight, now I believe anyway that it's likely that he was using our family um, wow. to appear better in front of the court. Yeah, okay. Because um, on the outside anyway, we looked normal. Um, my mom's a mm. teacher and she had two young children. Hmm. Yeah. So it makes him look very responsible. Yeah, I would say that, like, decent, like, present, relatively nice in general, um, last <laughs> a couple years, and then from there, uh, just went downhill. He was, like, in and out of prison because they kept kind of catching him for more charges from the fraud that he had committed um, hmm. before marrying my mom. So he would go, like, in and out of prison. Um, we were in and out of the prisons visiting him, spending, like, Christmas in prison and stuff like that. Wow. <laughs> um what is it like to spend Christmas in prison? Uh, as a kid, it was just a bit weird, I guess, but yeah, but not that weird. It yes. was like, it was you like have no, no context, yeah, no prejudice. Normal. Yeah. Yeah. It's like normal if that's your situation as a child. So it wasn't yes. every Christmas or anything, but <laughs> Christmases, some Easter's stuff like that. I remember like hunting for eggs in the house that was like surrounded by a big fence because you could like rent out a house with some of the inmates not with some of the inmates with like an inmate if it's your family member okay wow (laughs) yeah (laughs) but 
you don't stay there. You just go to visit, I imagine. Uh, you can stay at the house for a few days. You can like rent it. Wow. In, okay. a, in a minimum security prison in Canada. Okay. Yeah. Well, that that's kind of nice, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of creepy because there's like inmates walking around and you hear like the alarm every hour where they have to go and check in and like my dad would have uh, to leave and go give his inmate number and everything. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. So he was committing fraud. Did you find that he was authentic with you? Uh, I, I don't think I thought about his authenticity as a child, but I, yeah. uh, no, now I, I don't think so. I actually think that he, um, I hesitate to say this, but I think that he's a sociopath. Like he's very much hmm. like um, manipulative and consistently lies he's continuing to commit fraud right now they're like still trying to get him for different things mm. <laughs> it's been like okay. an ongoing thing for him i think his entire life i don't know wow but what, what was uh, like do you remember a particular interaction that you had with him that maybe you would say he was being inauthentic or he was demonstrating that kind of sociopathic behavior hmm so I think um like part of what led to my eating disorder is that I was mm. often alone and I I felt very distanced from my family. Mm. Um, right. And a lot of that was that I distanced myself. I think after the couple of years that he was like, quote unquote, a good father, after that mm -hmm. kind of ended, I very quickly was just like, okay, I'm out. That's how I've always been as a person to like handle hard situations, I guess. Um, mm. Not all hard situations, but like specifically in my family with things weren't going well, I would just go as a, like a child, as a coping mechanism, I would choose mm -hmm. to just distance myself from the situation rather than mm -hmm. try to understand it or try to fix things. Um, I would mm. just try to re remove myself as much as I could. Um, okay. So honestly, after those couple of years, um, most of my memories are just things to do with me, like my friends in school. And like, he's just not really in those memories. Oh, I just didn't really like, talk to him or I wasn't really there. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And what was your mom like? Uh, my mom's a wonderful person, but she um, wa wasn't around a lot. Um, a lot of times I, I think of my upbringing as being raised by a single mother, but I guess I did have like my stepdad there, hmm. sort of. Um, but in the end, I, I think she was basically raising us as a single mom. Hmm. Um, I mean, because he was often in prison um, hmm. or just not there. I don't know what he was doing. Um, <laughs> and my mom often wasn't there either. So there was a lot of just like being alone, probably from too young of an age. Um, like yes. a lot of just taking care of ourselves and being too independent. And you, your sibling is older or younger? A year older than me. Uh -huh. Okay. So you're kind of trying to figure a life out together, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I think that's how it was um, when I was really young there was a lot of like him and I together like a lot of my family members will describe us as just this like pair like I don't know like two pieces of pod just kind of like squished together all the time um, mm. unfortunately my brother started dealing with a lot of mental health issues from a young age when he was around 10 and I was probably wow. nine um, wow. so that I guess was sort of like a loss for me in a certain way yes um, and that was also like another thing that added to me I think feeling alone as a child mm-hmm yeah 
So spending then my young teenage years, um, mm-hmm. leading up to around the age 15 or 16 when I developed eating disorder, um, spending those like young teenage years, just kind of like alone, just on my own. No one is around kind of feelings, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's so interesting that it's like the, all, all of these people in a sense that they're, they're leaving you alone and your response to it was actually to say, well, I guess I'm alone and, and, Go into that behavior, right? Go into which behavior? Being alone, like withdrawing, distancing yourself. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think even my brother reacted differently to that. I think it's interesting actually how siblings can react so differently to family situations. Yes. um, That I went, okay, like, that's okay. I'm not going to cry about it. I'm alone. I'm independent now and I'll take care of myself and I'll cook for myself and I'll do everything for myself. Um. And I, I think my brother dealt with it in different ways, in his own ways. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. So you were already cooking for yourself at that age, like 15, taking care of yourself. Oh, since I was, I don't know, like eight or nine. <laughs> <laughs> Much younger than that. Right. <laughs> okay. In what other ways were you independent? I, in most ways, I think there was a lot of, um, there was so much independence in my house. Um, and I think there was a yeah. lot of trust in the children in the house, which is important to a certain degree, but to, in another sense, um, I think that can be harmful for there to be too much trust in children and too much responsibility mm. on a child. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess just feeling responsible for, for myself and anything, all my choices, um, what I chose to do. And another way it was kind of interesting. Um, Hmm. There was so much trust in my house that um, I remember being able to, and I I was a responsible kid with school and everything really responsible. Um, Hmm. But I remember also like if I felt like I was up to date on my homework and I I knew that the next day at school, we were going to be working on things that I had already finished. I would Hmm. just like tell my mom, Hey, like I'm not going to school tomorrow (laughs) because I'm done everything. So I don't want to go. And she would be like, Okay. And I would just stay home. <laughs> There's so much trust, yeah. Is, is that, um, I imagine that's not part of the culture in Canada because sometimes in Europe it can be like that, like, well, it's your schooling, it's your choice. Mm, no, no, that's not part of the culture in Canada. <laughs> no, not in, in Australia it isn't either. <laughs> so, yeah, forming your yeah, own I culture. I think that one could maybe just be kind of, that could be kind of like a funny anecdote, but I guess like to me it sort of adds to the, the yes. rest of like, yeah, I was just making choices too young, I think. Hmm. Okay. But why is it too young? I mean, what, it, it sounds kind of good. Like in, in a sense, it's like you're, you're maturing, you're taking responsibility for yourself or your own yeah, education. I guess maybe or, like the example yeah. that I just made about my education, I feel like mm-hmm. that, that could be an okay choice for a, a young kid to make. Um, hmm. I guess just like um, compiling that with all the other choices that I was having to make. That feels mm-hmm. like too many choices for a kid to be making. Yes. Can you give me an example? I mean, just I, I was alone so much, so there was so much freedom. Mm-hmm. So every choice was my own. Anything mm. that I, everything was my choice. Yeah. <laughs> no supervision, no guidance. Uh-huh. Yeah, everything. Mm. What I wanted to eat, what I made for my lunch, what um, what I chose to take seriously in life, in activities, Um getting to after school activities and choosing to participate on my own or not. Um, what did you take seriously? I mean, I, I 
took things seriously. I was a pretty serious kid with <laughs> school yeah. and music and different yes. activities and everything. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Interesting. So was was there a moment when things changed, like when you were 15 uh, and you started behaving very differently or what happened? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I would say around the time when um, when my stepdad got out of prison for the last time since he was married to my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of when things just felt, I think they started to feel extra chaotic. I think before that, um, my coping mechanism of just being very independent and on my own and handling things by myself um, was enough for me to like get through it, I guess, mm-hmm. get through the, the challenges we all face. Um, mm-hmm. But at that time, of course, at 15, I just thought, oh, I'm making all my own choices. No one's going to tell me what to do. And this is fine. And <laughs> I'm all good. Um, yeah. Now, as an adult, I can look at it and go, oh, <laughs> you were sad and you, were, you felt alone and you didn't feel like you had family. Um, hmm. And I think just the chaos that ensued from not being able to get back into our house and um, living somewhere else suddenly and um, knowing that things had gone so terribly between my mom and um, her husband that he was just mm. getting out of prison, um, that he was very emotionally and verbally abusive to her. Um, mm. Yeah. And just family members that I felt close to um, feeling very distant from them for like various reasons. Um, I think all mm. of that combined just um, I actually, I think most eating disorders are, or maybe all mm. um, come from, seeking control in situations where you lack control yes yes it's a that does, right so yeah that does seem to be a, a, a theme that mm-hmm. comes up so even among know. like um uh-huh. say if people are imprisoned or in a detention center or something it's like the that's the one of the few things that they have control over so they they mm-hmm. use that yeah as a strike or whatever yeah and for me that was definitely the case um hmm. like food and weight it became, I think, like the only thing that as a teenager that I felt like I could control. Hmm. Hmm. By the way, did you know I, I interviewed Georgia about her eating disorder? No. No? Okay. I'll, I'll send you the link later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. Uh, so you're, you're in the, your mom's friend's house in another town? No, the same town. Same town. Okay. Yeah. And you spend the summer there. Yeah. And I... Again, I thought it was great because I had the whole basement to myself. It was a nicer house than my house. It was in the same <laughs> neighborhood where all my friends lived. So uh-huh. on the outside, to me, I thought this is fantastic. I was also very alone. My mom was really busy dealing with all the house stuff. Um, uh-huh. I don't remember seeing her much um, or seeing anyone much <laughs> except for my friends. And I started just hanging out with all my friends and partying and doing whatever a 15-year-old wants to do. Hmm. Uh, and feeling free and fun. But I think like deep down, I just felt really out of control and everything felt really chaotic. Mm. And, well, this is, yeah, this is interesting. I have heard this from people before where it's like this uh, strange duality where it's like they they say, oh, you know, I was a happy kid, but I was at the same time, I was also very sad and lonely, <laughs> you know, uh, and <laughs> Somehow yeah. they they don't notice at the time that they're very sad and lonely. How yeah. do you think that works? Yeah. That's so interesting. I 
Don't know. I think, um, well, I think my initial coping mechanism was always like distance. So Mm -hmm. I think any of those things that were hurting me um, Mm -hmm. from a really young age, my biological father um, was also very abusive to my mom, but physically Mm -hmm. as well. um, Mm -hmm. He actually tried to kill her (laughs) Um, when I was three and um, my brother and I were there and when my biological dad left, well, mm-hmm. my mom left him after he mm-hmm. tried to kill her. Um, uh, and so she basically said, like, you have to leave. Um, like, you can't be here anymore. Yes. And apparently, I don't remember this because I was three. Um, mm-hmm. But apparently after she told me, like, he's not coming back. Um, and my brother was really upset and said, how could he leave without saying goodbye? And apparently I just said, Oh, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I was—I never talked about it again. I was just like, "Oh, fantastic!" Like he was bad. Goodbye. Like I don't want to see him anymore. (laughs) (laughs) The wisdom, wisdom of a babe. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) I think that's how I kind of always was. I mean, they say our personalities were formed by the time we're what three or four. So um, I think that represents like a lot of my childhood and adolescence as well. Just um, when things weren't going well in my family, just going, okay, then I'm just stepping out and like, I'll deal with it myself. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, when somebody gets intensely violent like that, it's probably Mm -hmm. entirely reasonable. Yeah. 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 So. Mm -hmm. And then I think when you have like a coping mechanism like that, then um, yeah, I was able to be like, I was also a very happy kid. Definitely. Um, and mm. as a teenager in those moments, I'm telling you that I, that I'm telling you about, um, I definitely felt, I felt happy. I had a great summer with all my friends in this nice house. But mm. then, like you said, the duality of um, inside, definitely I was struggling with feeling lonely and sad and um, probably confused about my family situation and alone. Mm. Mm. So if you were to live that experience again, how would you notice that you were sad? Do you mean like what tools could I have used? Yeah. Yeah. Or what, what would you notice about your own behavior or your emotions, your thought patterns? Mm. I mean, I think, um, again, as an adult looking at it and I see, oh, this 15 year old who spent her entire summer obsessed with um, going to parties. And mm. Okay drinking um which is that is like a change in behavior for me too that's not how I was before um Mm -hmm. I wasn't interested in that from a super young age um but that's kind of where I put all my attention that summer I guess Mm -hmm. and me thinking that I'm having a great time drinking and partying with my friends (laughs) okay but I think that that was like an unhealthy thing that I was choosing to participate in because I was sad yeah Okay. The, well, that's really interesting. So it is like, it's actually the the fact that you were very happy was somehow an indication that internally you were not happy. Yeah, I guess so. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I think I probably also was happy too. Right. To spend time with my friends. Yes. Yes. I was probably both happy and sad at the same time. Yes. Okay. Yeah. True. Well, that, that's a really important point because I think sometimes we we think that our emotions are just oh we just have one mood one emotional state 
but mm-hmm. actually there can be a lot going on at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Yes. So what did you learn from going to the parties? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, not much. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know. I don't think it was very fulfilling. Actually, it, mm. for me, it specifically only lasted a few months because I felt so unfulfilled. I think I was seeking fulfillment like in all those parties right? and everything. I was looking for approval and um, something. I was looking for something. Um, mm. And I remember, um, and this is right leading up to when my eating disorder started, um, I remember consciously thinking because it was new for me to choose to participate in um, all of this high school partying life. Mm. Um, mm. I remember after like around three or four months, just going like, this is boring. I don't like this. Like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know I'm doing this and I don't like these people. <laughs> and, um, and that's probably when I switched over to looking for something else to feel fulfilled and to find control in it. Um, Hmm. So in in terms of like music or something? No, that, that's when my eating disorder started, like right when I chose to stop partying and hanging out with all these people. Okay. All right. So it's like I can't find fulfillment hanging out with people, so maybe I will try something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah? I think so, yeah. Okay. Or is it is is there another way to describe it? Um, like how meeting sort of started or just like why I chose to stop? How, yeah. How, well, I guess my question is how does the eating disorder relate to the partying? Well, I think the, the partying was, um, was something I was, I was doing. Yeah. Looking for, looking for something, looking for fulfillment, something to fill mm-hmm. a void. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then when you, Probably something that, disorder. Yeah. Yeah, probably something to um there's probably an element of finding control mm-hmm. in the partying, even though it mm-hmm. um probably looks like wild and fun. But mm-hmm. um I think yep. I felt like I could control what people thought of me. Mm. Okay. And could you? I think so. <laughs> to a certain yeah. degree. Um I remember uh, like consciously yeah. choosing like I'm going to start hanging out with all these people and they're all going to like me. Okay. And they did. Yeah. And then I got bored. <laughs> it wasn't as fulfilling as I thought. <laughs> okay. Okay. Is there something relating to your stepdad there, like a, a sort of manipulation or inauthenticity? Like he gave you that model of being a fraud and you're saying, well, these people are going to like me. I'm going to make them like me. Are those things related? No, I think that was no, just okay. me. I actually didn't fully understand until I was older, like the crimes that mm-hmm. he had committed. Again, I think I actually didn't care that much. I knew he was in jail and I knew that he was in jail for fraud. Yeah, but it's it's not necessarily about crime because obviously he's going to express this in his uh, behavior. Yeah. So do, yeah, but you don't um, think that was really related? No, I think that's very much like me as a little kid. <laughs> Something that mm. I that was formed pretty young. Me just going, well, I want this and I'm going to do it and it's going to happen and I'm going to mm. make it happen. Yeah, okay. So it's like a it's kind of innocent ambition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. 
Okay, interesting. <laughs> so <laughs> you control what they thought of you. <laughs> and then, <Mind> control. <laughs> yeah, but that wasn't enough. You wanted you wanted more control. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I think it was just starting to um to spiral out of control. I guess too, like the partying mm. stuff with like grasping for something and grasping for some kind of control. And I think. Something that I found was, oh, I can make all these people like me. That's something I can control. That's something I can mm-hmm. do. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think I probably, even though I didn't know it, I probably felt like I was just falling alone, spiraling. Mm. And I think I was just like grasping for something to hold on to, I think. Mm. How did your eating disorder express itself? Is it like uh, just not eating at all or? Uh, uh, yeah, so I had bulimia i it started with um anorexia for mm-hmm. a few months um, mm-hmm. so eating very little but quickly it developed into bulimia um and that's the eating disorder that i dealt with for mm. years and mm. i would say that's still um it's something i still deal with it's something i've overcome um it's not something that i do like action wise um mm. but like disordered eating thoughts and patterns definitely still something that i um have to deal with sometimes still Hmm. okay do you remember making the decision to stop eating yes what was it like uh yeah so i remember um after all the partying and everything and i just Hmm. felt like i didn't like my house and i didn't like my family and i didn't want to be there and I didn't like my town and I didn't like all these people I had met and I felt alone and I didn't feel happy. So I decided that um, I wanted to go live in Montreal, which is a much nicer, prettier, cooler. I still agree with this <laughs> city, <laughs> city than um, the small town where I was from. Uh-huh. And I had family there. So um, I decided that I wanted to go live there. And Hmm. my plan was to make it happen was, okay, I'll go live with my aunt um, and I'll do school online for six months. So I figured Mm -hmm. it out and I planned to do school online for six months. And um, I spoke to my family and I made it happen. Um, And I left after Christmas or around Christmas um, to go live in Montreal for six months. That was my plan. Hmm. And then I remember as soon as I got there, Still feeling really alone. <laughs> um, hmm. uh, I guess to a certain degree. I think there's definitely something in Montreal. I still love Montreal. It's like my favorite city in the world. There was something hmm. there that was calling me. Um, there are so many more like art and music classes and things I could do there that were in line with my passions more yeah. than in my small town. Um, but I was still at that point. Then I had already turned 16. Um, I was still alone. And... Then I wasn't going to school anymore. I was doing school online and I didn't know anyone there. Mm. So I think I just felt even more alone. I think I felt happier environment wise, but um, as far as like the social connections that we all need, I think I, I just still felt very alone and family wise too. Hmm. Did you try to make friends in Montreal? Yeah, I, I did make friends. Um, I did mm. make friends there over time. I still have some really good friends from that time. I moved back there as an adult and I have plenty of friends now as an adult Mm. from um, Montreal, but some of the good friends I made as a teenager there too. 
Um, How did you make friends? Uh, mostly in the classes I was taking, like music classes and art classes. Oh, okay. All right, cool. Yeah. But I remember um, getting to Montreal and feeling strange. And I remember saying to myself, like the sentence, I remember saying the full sentence, at least I can control what I eat and how much I weigh. Mm-hmm. That's like the least that I have. And it's the least that I'll do, I guess. Mm. The least that I can do. Mm. Um, and at least I have that. Like I, I don't have anything, but at least I have that. <laughs> I remember yes. saying that to myself, which sounds very sad to say aloud. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to make it conscious because I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. Mm-hmm. So this this is really interesting because I don't think I've ever met a 16 year old who has so much control over their life, uh, like like <laughs> somebody who can decide, oh, I'm going to do schooling online. I'm going to move to the big smoke. I'm going to I'm I'm going to uh, you know choose to start these different art projects and these things. Uh, but but you didn't feel in control at all. No, I think um, structure is really important for a child, at least to a certain degree. I think a certain amount of freedom is fantastic for kids mm. and a certain mm. amount of being able to make choices. Like I said, the example of um, choosing not to go to school because you're being responsible for your education and you don't feel like you need to go. Um, I feel like that could be a really positive thing if everything else is set up properly for that to be mm. a positive thing. Yeah. Um, but in my case, it was just like another example of making all my own choices, which I think it can be like too much responsibility mm. for a kid. Okay. So may- maybe you were actually overwhelmed by all the control you had. Yeah. And there was like, then in that um, sense, it also felt like a lack of support, I think. Right. Yeah. yeah and it feels lonely sense. to be a kid making all your own choices. Yes. Who offered you the most support in that time? Myself. (laughs) 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 It was just me. Hmm. If you had to say one other person, who do you think it would be? There isn't anybody. Wow. Yeah. Not even your aunt, not even your, your music class friends. No, I didn't talk about any of these things. Um, And like my dad being in prison and stuff, I didn't tell anyone ever. Yes. Until I was an adult. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah, as far as like emotional, like anyone who's like being there for me, no, I I didn't feel like I had anybody. Hmm. I imagine there were a lot of emotions going on inside. What, What might they be? When I arrived in Montreal? Yes. Yeah, I mean, of course, I was also excited. Um, because I loved Montreal. It's somewhere I, I grew up going there for summers and everything. So there was, again, yeah, there was like the happy aspect to it, um, mm-hmm. the positive sides mm-hmm. um, and positive feelings associated with traveling and going somewhere relatively new um, mm-hmm. and getting to take all these new classes and things that I liked. But I remember feeling sad and lonely. I remember the sadness. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So what happened when um, during those those uh, few months of anorexia? What, what was going on with your eating habits? You just uh, like ate nothing, or you ate like once a day, once a week, or something like that? Uh, I was like very strictly counting calories mm-hmm. um, and eating like just dangerously low amount of calories per day in order mm-hmm. to lose weight. My thing was counting the calories. That was during a few months of experiencing like anorexia. It was counting calories. 
And okay. as long as I was um, meeting my personal calorie requirements then or below, then I was happy and I felt yeah. successful and I was getting my like wins and my control in this situation. Right. So there was a kind of emotional payoff for, for succeeding on that front. Oh yeah. I feel like, um, I feel like an eating disorder almost becomes an addiction because of the, you're like giving yourself your own dopamine hits um, <laughs> from like meeting your own goals. Yeah. Gamify your yourself. eating disorder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but then uh, why, why did it change into, into, uh, into bulimia? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. I don't think that's common either. Actually. I have no idea. It was like, uh, a sudden change. I think I maybe felt overwhelmed by my extreme calorie counting. Um, <laughs> and I switched to something else, um, which is bulimia. Hmm. So when you say bulimia, you, you mean uh, overeating and then purging, or do you just mean overeating? Uh, no. So I actually experienced, well, there are the two different types of bulimia, bulimia, the purging type and the non-purging type. Yeah. Um, Purging is often um, throwing up or laxatives, which I experienced uh, like throwing up and um, non-purging type, which is fasting and exercise. And I did hmm. both of those as well. So I hmm. experienced like three different kinds of like the four common types of bulimia at different points. Uh, it started out with the uh, non-purging type for probably six months, um, hmm. which was binging and um, fasting or mm. over-exercising or both, usually mm. both <laughs> for <laughs> um, months. Okay. Yeah. A little bit Scary, of everything. Very unhealthy. Buffet. Yeah. And really dangerous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> If you could call it that. <laughs> I, <guess. laughs> I, I would repeat that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. So, so yeah, and it, like I guess it the, sounds yeah. kind of. Um, I just want to say too that I feel like with bulimia, too, people often don't like talking about it because it sounds kind of gross, like oh, like overeating and purging and all these things. But I feel yeah. like it's kind of important to talk about. Yeah, it is like sad and gross and like all these things because I feel like um, hmm. that's like one of the main things that will get people to understand that what they're doing is bad mm -hmm. and unhealthy rather than mm -hmm. just like it's a diet or something. It's like, no, it's you're like destroying your own body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there, there seems to be a risk. These, yes. Yes. It seems to be a risk these days because fasting is a, is a fad and I think fasting is great, mm. but uh, yeah, I think there's careful. totally benefits to like healthy um, mental, mentally healthy fasts that people do. Yeah. Yeah, but it's also like, like now you can just uh, maybe hide your eating disorder. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's maybe. dangerous. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something to look out for. Mm. So, what's the what's the emotional payoff with the bulimia? Mm. Like weight loss. Um, okay, so you see the scales and feel good. Yeah, a number mm. on a scale, or um, are you looking in the mirror? Um, hmm. And it's just another way of controlling things. Mm -hmm. uh, so you said it, it went on for a couple of years. The eating disorder? 
Yeah. Uh, I would say I was like actively in the eating disorder until I was about 18 or 19. Yeah. So like two or three years. Wow. What changed over that time? Hmm. A lot of things. The I think the turning point for me was uh, a friend who decided hmm. to step in. Like who I said, decided I think, to, to what? To step in. Okay. Right. Yeah. I think, like I said, I, I think I was just quite alone. Like I just didn't have much support. Um, hmm. And I also was closed off and didn't reach out for support. But for years, many people in my life knew that I had an eating disorder. Friends, everyone in my family, <laughs> everyone hmm. knew. But it's actually really interesting. I think um, this is something I've been thinking about a lot recently, um, that people just don't do anything. And I'm not even, that's not me like blaming people. I'm sure there's many situations where I could have done something where I didn't. But hmm. um, it's interesting to me that when we see someone struggling with something, I don't know, sometimes it looks like, I guess most people just don't do anything. Uh, hmm. I don't know why. I don't know why that is. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think I think there's a bunch of reasons. I mean, sometimes yeah. I know I know in my own experience. Some, sometimes I have the the good intention, but I don't have the courage to act mm-hmm. on it. And sometimes I just don't notice things. And some sometimes it's just um, yeah, apathy. I suppose. How did mm-hmm. your family know that you had an eating disorder? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it's wrong to say I didn't reach out. There were um, several family members and friends that I reached out to and said, like, "Hey, I'm really struggling with this. I don't know what to do." Like when it just got to when I would get to certain points where it just felt like I'm really sick um, Mm. and I'm hurting myself. Um, Mm. There are like physical signs that you're hurting yourself with bulimia. Um, Mm. I mean, it's, it's awful. It's terrible for you. You're destroying your metabolism. Um, Luckily my teeth were fine. It's really Mm. common for people to have awful teeth issues. Um, Because of the stomach acid and and, uh, poor nutrition. Yeah. Yeah, but me being the <laughs> the oddly responsible teenager <laughs> in a contradictory way, um, I was always researching what I needed to do to protect my teeth um, wow. uh, when I was engaging in this. Um, so I did everything that I read that I needed to be doing to protect my teeth, and I think it worked. But yeah, there are awful like, physical signs that someone has bulimia, um, and I, didn't, I started to see them, and I didn't like them because they're ugly. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, like, your cheeks can get puffy um, from throwing up. Yeah. And I mean, your metabolism is all messed up. So that also just feels uncomfortable, like in your body. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, the time when I reached out and finally got help was because at that point I was mixing all three types of bulimia that mm. I was engaging in, but I had just thrown up and I popped a bunch of blood vessels in my face from like the force of the action, uh, which is very scary and horrible and ugly. Yeah. And I looked in the mirror and I had purple dots all over my face, purple and red dots all around my eyes and all over my face. And I was so scared. I didn't know what it was. That's not something I had read about um, because I was always reading about what all the risks were for what I was doing and how to Hmm. try to mitigate those things. But I had never Hmm. read about that before. And I got so scared. And I called a family member who knew about my eating disorder because I didn't know what to do. And I, I thought, Oh my God, this is permanent. I'm always going to look like this. I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> I didn't realize it was like blood vessels. Um, yeah. And unfortunately the, the family member didn't just didn't really listen and was busy and Oof. I didn't really get any help. So I called a friend that friend, I think was probably the main turning point for me. So it was somebody reaching out. Well, somebody choosing to do something 
And he said, um, well, I, I called him while he was with his parents. Um, and so he said, hey, I'm with my parents, but I'm going to call you as soon as I'm alone. And he right. called me and he was alone um, and told me that he was taking me to the hospital. And I didn't want to go. I just mm. wanted him to fix my face or something. I don't know. What I, wanted. <laughs> I, just, I was just scared and I just wanted to tell somebody and I just needed somebody, I guess. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm going to come get you right now in my car. I'm going to drive you to the hospital and you're going to start talking to a psychologist or a psychiatrist there. You're going to see a psychiatrist at the hospital. Wow. Um, and yeah, he came and he took me and we went and that was my first step in like recovery going to see a psychiatrist at the hospital. Why do you think it was so important for him to do that for you? I mean, I, th- I think it was like the turning point for me. I mean, or, uh, uh, let me rephrase that. Mm-hmm. What do you think was going on in his mind that he mm-hmm. decided this was important? I think he just cared about me as a friend. And yeah. uh, luckily he knew what to do. So, And he did it, which is fantastic. And I'll yeah. be forever grateful. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, I don't know um, what prompted him to do that over anyone else who knew, who I guess could have done the same thing. What do you imagine he felt when you told him those things? I guess he probably just felt a lot of empathy for me and um, care. He wanted to change it for me. Hmm. (laughs) Mm. So you you saw a psychiatrist, a psychologist, or what happened? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw, I think, a psychiatrist, somebody there, who then... um, I guess like diagnosed me with an eating disorder um, Mm. and sent me off to start seeing psychologists and therapists. I had to cycle through several ones to find a good match. That was the starting point for me, for sure, for recovery. Right. What did you learn from from therapy or what did you learn from those professionals? I mean, I think what I I learned is that um, I just needed someone. (laughs) I just needed someone to be there for me. Um, what I needed to recover was I, I needed support from somebody and I found it, um, with a professional, but I think that's well, so- the main thing that I got from, um, therapy and from professionals was just somebody caring and somebody being there. Yes. Well, something I wonder about, and I don't know if, if, if this is true in your case, but mm-hmm. I, I wonder if, because you were so used to being in control of your life, Maybe uh, people actually did try to help you in, in, in other points, but you were, you were focused on your own track, so uh, you weren't uh, able to allow them to help you. What do you think about that? Hmm. Maybe. Yeah, I guess when I, when I say um, it feels like people weren't there to help, I know I was also really closed off. So I don't know that hmm. anyone was really reaching out and actively trying to help me, hmm. but I was also so closed off. So... I probably wasn't open to receive the help either way or to properly yeah. reach out for it. I think um, when I saw all these blood vessels in my face and I got really scared, popped blood vessels, that was probably the first time that I really, really reached out for help. Like I was like, I need help. Like I, I need it. <laughs> hmm. um, like, please help me. Like I need somebody. And someone, someone was there. Yeah. So it, in this case, it is like, well, some, sometimes you say like there is a point where the, the pain of, staying the same becomes greater than the, the pain of changing. And mm-hmm. that, that sounds like what, what was happening in your case. Do you think that there's some way that you could have changed without pain? Like you could have somehow been more open to, to changing in yourself or more open to asking people for help in a different way from a different motivation. Mm, I'm not sure what you mean, like within the context of the eating disorder. Yes. Yes. So not changing because you were scared 
what what could have possibly changed you if if it weren't fear what else could have changed you you mean if i hadn't had that moment of like fear because of my face um yes. hmm. uh well i think other than um like the professionals who helped me i think a really big thing for a lot of people with eating disorders and for me was just getting involved in other things and like finding mm. also personal support and with the personal per, uh, personal relationships mm. um and I, I think I feel pretty confident in saying that even if I had never had that like scary moment, I'm sure, I mean, there are always different avenues yes. that things can happen on. Um, yes. I don't know if I had been, um, if I had found some kind of community where I was feeling supported and like socially and emotionally supported, um, that would have made a big difference. Mm. Um, if I ha- if I had been able to open up to that, I guess. What Finding would... other ways to feel yeah. fulfilled in your life. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine a scenario where that might happen, where say you, you have for a moment, you imagine you're, you're in that experience and you're going through the routine every day of, you know, fasting or exercising or overeating and, and all these things. And for a moment, you, you, maybe you see yourself in the mirror and you start to imagine what if things were different, you know, what if, <laughs> and you start to feel inspired? Mm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that didn't happen for me. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm sure it happens for some people. Yes. Yeah, for me it was it was much more of a an uphill, slow, strenuous. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny because some, a lot of the time I do ask people, Oh, what did you gain from therapy? And, and they don't, they don't entirely know, or well, in your case, you know, you had some, someone to listen to you, which I guess may, maybe that's the key thing, but is, is there some kind of wisdom or insight or self-knowledge that came from that? From the therapy? Yes. Hmm. The therapy. Or maybe from outside the therapy, maybe it was some, um, something else. Yeah, I feel like through therapy, it was more of a practical, it was practical knowledge that I gained about mm-hmm. um, coping mechanisms and things that are well researched that you can do if you have an eating disorder or um, mm-hmm. if you have an unhealthy coping mechanism that you're using to deal with personal situations. Um, I feel like it was more like those practical things. Um, and on the other side, I also learned practically like how I feel that we should talk to people with eating disorders and um, hmm. what I think people with eating disorders need. I think okay. overall, like as an, again, like being able to look over my entire experience. Yeah. Sometimes still having unhealthy thoughts around food, but for the most part being, I would say like recovered for several, for many years now from my eating disorder in a more abstract sense. I think the main thing that like I learned from it is that just like how human we all are and we're all, we're all looking to cope with the difficult things that we're all facing. And our journeys to cope are all so different, um, but I mean, we all have them. And um, hmm. it's always two steps forward and one step back. I think that's the main thing um, from my eating disorder that I, okay. I still have to tell myself when I have very few times, um, mm-hmm. like relapsed in the last probably like six years or something. It's been very mm-hmm. few times, but when I have had relapses or just when I'm struggling with for maybe a couple days or for a few hours, 
with um, unhealthy thoughts around food. Mm. Um, and it feels like, oh no, this means that I failed <laughs> all right. this work and I failed now. But um, I always have to remind myself that that's, that's really like part of the journey and it's the two steps yes. forward, one steps back, you know, like um, I'm always moving forward and sometimes you have to go back a little bit, but you're always moving forward if you're on that journey. Yes. Yes. That's, that's really important. It, this is like a, a, a kind of black and white thinking. Like if one thing goes wrong, we think everything is going wrong, mm -hmm. but it's not like that. It's just, you know, we put, put it into context. We say that, you know, we have various aspects of our life and, and various days where we, you know, where we did things really well. Yeah. Yes. What yeah. are the practical things? Yeah. Sorry. Did you want to say something? No. <laughs> no. Okay. What are, what are the practical things that you could do when you were going through that experience? No, I'm struggling to remember <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the like steps that I took with my therapist. Um, mm. I mean, it was a lot of, um, not necessarily just a like one action, do this and you're going to get yes. better. Um, yes. It wasn't press this button and things are better now, but a lot yes. of just working on, Obviously, an eating disorder is often um, a control thing, deal with, like a coping mechanism to find control in a chaotic mm -hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. um, so working through those things, um, working through that chaos, working through traumas, working through the things that probably led up to the eating disorder, um, I had to realize what the conditions were that um, mm. gave me a propensity to have an eating disorder in the first place because um, obviously not everyone who goes through a chaotic situation develops an eating disorder or they might go somewhere else. They might go to overworking or an obsession with good grades or mm -hmm. um, self-harm or some other unhealthy coping mechanism. Um, mm -hmm. But for me, I guess um, I had the right ingredients for an eating disorder and that's what came up for me. Um, hmm. Yeah. So, well, all, all these things happened to you and you had a particular interpretation of them and that, that mm -hmm. affected your behavior. So you could go back and, look at the events and look at your interpretations. Yeah, I think um, working through those things. So one mm -hmm. by one going through the things that were causing me pain and um, the things that caused, that gave me a, like a predisposition to body image issues and an unhealthy relationship with food and working on those things, just working really hard on them <laughs> um, through mm. therapy. Um, well, what does it mean to work on them? Mm. What, what does that mean? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, it, it was just a lot of um, like learning about myself with a therapist. Yeah. And being aware of those things. Right. As opposed yes. to not being aware of them and um, understanding that, that there were reasons that I, that I had a healthy relationship with food, maybe even before my eating disorder um, mm. and just so many different things or, and then, yeah, just the reasons that I was sad and the reasons that I felt lonely. Um, mm -hmm. Coming to understand all those things as a teenager. Yeah, well, that makes sense. If you can become aware of things and, mm -hmm. and have some understanding about them, then you can begin to change them. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, great. And you you mentioned the things you learned about how to talk with to to people with eating disorders. What mm -hmm. what uh, tips would you have? <laughs> <laughs> or what principles yeah um well like i was saying before i think a big uh problem i don't know if it's a problem i mean mm. we don't all know everything about everything but something that i've learned um from having my own eating disorder mm. um 
is the times when people, uh, and it wasn't just my one friend that helped me later on. There was a couple other people who came into my life who um, definitely were able to help me on my recovery journey. And the most impactful things that I heard from people that did make me stop sort of like you were saying with like the mirror thing, looking in the mirror and going, Oh, maybe things can be different. Um, But for me, it was more when someone would tell me that, that I was making myself sick. So not, Oh, you're too thin. Um, I mean, someone with an eating disorder loves to hear that. That just feeds you (laughs) to hear you're too thin. You go, great. That's what I want. Uh I want to be thin. Um, Uh That's like fantastic. That's the best thing you can tell someone with an eating disorder. Um, Wait, so it's thin. better to say this This is negatively affecting your health? Or, yeah, like you're yeah. sick or you look sick. Um, oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because the thing is, like, in those moments, we don't understand that, that we look ill or in moments where I didn't look ill, because that's also a very big issue that um, there were times when I probably had, like, a normal weight, but I still was just as much in my eating disorder as when I was more thin. Um, hmm. People specifically there's one person I can think of who told me, but I don't understand. She didn't understand. And she said, I just don't get it. Like, why would you want to look like that? Like that doesn't look nice. Like that's not, um, it's not like aesthetically pleasing to anyone. That's not how she said it, but, um, Mm. like that's not a (laughs) being like bones or being like, that's an ugly thing. Like that's, that means you're sick. That means you're dying. Like that hearing those like strong words that like hearing that and having those changing the thought pattern from, Oh, I want to be thin or I, want to see my bones or whatever um, because hmm. of messed up body image things and thinking that that is some kind of ideal that I want to meet, hmm. um, but kind of changing that to be like, Oh, that's not an ideal that I want to meet. That's like, that means you're sick. That means you're dying. <laughs> that means you're destroying hmm. your body. Like um, people, oh. people won't like it. Like that's not going to make anyone like you anymore. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Well, uh, this, this is really interesting. Um, there, there is an idea that, well, I'm, I mean, it's it's important to be considerate and, and think about people's feelings and, and this sort of thing. But though, um, it sounds like the, using these very strong words in that context would actually mm-hmm. be helpful. Like it's like this shock of, of reality. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. Wow. Um, and I think um, I really don't feel alone in saying this. I think if you're even Googling eating disorders and how to talk to people with eating disorders, um hmm a lot of people will agree that like they needed to hear that they, that they were sick or if they looked sick, that they looked sick. Um, Mm. Not that they looked too thin, not that they were really skinny. All of those words are fantastic for someone with an eating disorder. That just makes you feel great. Mm. Um, That just feeds you like feeds the the dopamine rush and everything of like, Oh great. Like I did it. Someone said I look so skinny. Like that's what you want. Um, Mm. But hearing that, that you're sick and you're hurting yourself and this is dangerous and you could die. Um, I mean, eating disorders are, they're the most fatal mental illness. Um, wow. Most people die from them. Um, people end up dying from malnutrition or mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <sighs> okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, it's really heavy, but I feel like those are just the things that, um, yeah, obviously I don't think that's the only thing you should say to someone with an eating disorder. <laughs> you're horribly sick and leave them alone. But, yes. Um, well, like you said, like a, with, with your friend that offered help, like if, if you were to say to them, you know, you, you look like you're not so healthy. Do you need help? 
you know, is, is there some way I can support mm-hmm. you? Yeah. yeah, exactly. As opposed to just going, well, you look too thin, you should eat more. That's not going to help anyone. <laughs> 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 like, right. that's just going to feed. Yeah. Um, also, I had a a really weird experience looking for therapists. Um, mm. Because so many therapists, I think I mentioned this to you the other day, mm. wanted to give me diet advice. Actually, a, right. lot of, a lot of people want to give people with eating disorders diet advice, which is doesn't make any sense and is not no. helpful. That's also another thing definitely to avoid with someone with an eating disorder. They they don't need help losing weight. They need help like <laughs> recovering from a mental illness. Um, yeah. But this, um, yeah. well, I wonder, <laughs> did any of the therapists say, let's get you on a diet, like a diet that has a lot of food, <laughs> like more food than you are eating? Did that ever happen? No, um, no. A lot okay. of the recovery programs were sort of like that. Like they put you on a diet where you're just eating uh, at least a normal amount of calories, a lot of times yes. surplus, yes, gain weight. Um, but no, I didn't have any therapists do that. I just, I had a really bad luck, I think with probably about five or six therapists that I went through before finding the one that really helped me um, in my journey. Hmm. But all of them gave me diet advice to some wow. degree. They talked about, well, it's, and it's interesting because so many people have body image issues and eating disorders and um, disordered thought patterns around their eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe even I would venture to say, I, I don't know if I could say most, but like a lot of people have unhealthy relationships with food, even if they don't have eating disorders. Um, yeah, and sounds reasonable. I think a lot of the therapists I saw had really unhealthy relationships with food. Um, and so they were trying to tell me how they lost weight and <laughs> how, or the Whoa. diet that they were on. And maybe I could try it. Um, okay. I remember yeah. calling like the help helpline for teenagers or something in Canada. Yeah. yeah. Um, after in a, like a moment of desperation, this was before, um, reaching out for help from my friend. Um, and she also, she asked me if I had tried eating six times a day instead of three times a day. That was her response. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. It's not the worst yeah. advice, but <laughs> I, that's not really the, yeah, the people just don't really know there. what to do. Yeah, yeah. And they're do struggling you, with their own eating issues. So Yes. Right. Well, that's that's so important. My friend told me this this story where he was he was doing some uh, training course as a healer. I don't he, he's an acupuncturist and, and other healing modalities. And in this this course, they're talking about how to support people emotionally and stuff. And the the instructor of the course asked this question, do you have to have your life in check? Like, do you have to have your life ordered in order to be a good helper? And my friend, uh, Jeremy, he was the only one who said, yes, yes, you do. <laughs> and everybody else get turned and gave him dirty looks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't think people have to be perfect, uh, but there is a certain standard that, like, they they have to have self-knowledge. That's that's a big key. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wonder if, um, I don't know if this is always the case, but I feel like maybe with a lot of times when we're helping other people with a specific issue, if we're also dealing with the same issue badly and are not able to help ourselves with it at all, it might be difficult to help someone else. Although I don't think that's always the case. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that definitely was what I experienced with a lot of these therapists about mm. eating issues. Could you say some red or green flags for therapists 
And it's a bit of a tricky question. <laughs> do you mean, um, like if you have an eating disorder and you're looking for a therapist and they do this or. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think the main thing was, and I, as a teenager too, I was aware that when, as soon as I got with these, got to these therapists and they started giving me diet advice, I was like, this isn't right. Right. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a pretty big one. Um, but that would normally happen right away then. I suppose. Yeah. I so. think also um, there's still, I think this is becoming less of a problem. I hope hmm. that um, now this is less of an issue, but I think there's still an, a misunderstanding that some, that people with eating disorders are all stick thin and look like they're dying. Um, Cause hmm. there were definitely, um, there were definitely moments where I was too thin when I had an eating disorder, but probably most of the time that I had an eating disorder, um, I looked normal. I was a very normal weight. Um, hmm. And I had some therapists tell me too, well, you look fine. Right. So you are fine. So that's, um, that's a real yeah. lack of um, mm-hmm. perspicacity or a lack of discernment in their observations. Like if they think they, think they can mm-hmm. make a conclusion based on one observation, that's not how observation works in, the, in mm-hmm. a lot of situations. Yeah. And an eating disorder isn't, it isn't your weight. It's like the thought mm. patterns that you have. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's very important. Yeah, that's a good one. Cool. Okay. Anything else you want to say? Any other words of wisdom or maybe advice for for young people if they do find themselves in that situation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, I feel like it's really important to be open to getting help and to to get Mm. help. Um, Yes. And to find people who will support you and be open to those people who will support you. Mm. Um, Yes. Yeah. And I, yeah, a lot of the time we, <laughs> yes, absolutely. And yeah. that's okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. A, a lot of the time we think, oh, I don't want to burden this person. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to cause them problems and that sort of thing. But a lot of the time we do, we do have a few uh, friends who will say, you know, what can I do? If you need mm-hmm. me, I will, you know, I will do <laughs> anything to help you. There are people like that. And, that, and it's not a burden for them. It's a delight for them mm-hmm. to help you. Absolutely. Yeah, yes. it's so important to, to be open to that, to receiving that help. Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Pilar. <laughs> yeah, of course. Thank you so much. I had a lot of um, insights within myself during this conversation. <laughs> ah, that's great. <laughs> Any more you want to share? Or it's, it's all there, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think it's all there throughout the <laughs> Awesome. Conversation, yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Pilar. Thank you uh, so much. A beautiful thought. Our perception of the world is always colored by our own experiences and our own preconceptions. We might have all these preconceptions about how other people think based on how we think. We might even think that we know how other people are thinking how how people would react if we ask them for something there is this tiktok that comes up on my feed on my for you page every now and then it's this guy on a rejection challenge and every day for about three months he's been going around and asking people oh can i get this uh like the other day was that some Mexican restaurant in the United States and, and asked the staff, is it cool if I, if I do, do you have sombreros? Can I put on a big charro or like, a, like a mariachi sombrero while I'm eating? And they're like, 
yeah, <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> we'll grab one off the wall, you know, uh, if that's what you want, you know, if it's going to make your experience better. Or he went to a, a, a golf course and there's these little buggies that go around, or it's like a driving range, little buggies that go around collecting the golf balls. And he said to the guy, oh, can I get on the buggy and collect some golf balls with you? Now, first, the guy's like, no, nah, we didn't let people do that. A lot of, you know, drunk people come in and hooligans and, they, you know, kind of disrupt things. And then you you see the jump cut and he's in the buggy. <laughs> he was just, uh, he chatted with the guy for a while. And the guy was like, you know, I can see you're serious. You're not foolish. You just want to have this experience. So, yeah, come on, come, come on and jump in the buggy. So the point is we don't know what how people are going to react in, until we ask them if we show a little something extra of ourselves we let go of our preconceptions we ask for help as pilar finally did in in that story we might find something amazing something unimaginable something we couldn't have previously considered because we didn't know we didn't know what we didn't know. We didn't know the limits of our own knowledge. And by experimenting, by playing in the world, we start to discover <laughs> by trying things on an off chance. Because who knows? Who knows what might happen if we try? Now, I mentioned in the interview, another interview that I did with Georgia, Georgia Cat talking about her experience living in Melbourne and deciding to, to leave Australia to get outside of her circle in a form that would help her eventually uh, let go of her eating disorder. So she had very strict rules for herself about how she would eat and what time she would eat and this kind of thing. And that was a fascinating interview uh, with Georgia. So I, I recommend that one. Also, um, the interview with Derek Bros of the Conscious Resistance Network. People know him for his work on the Freedom Cells and the, the Greater Reset Project. You can check that out. I'll put the link in the show notes on the website. So Derek also struggled a bit with self-image and with an eating disorder. And also, well, among other problems, drugs and going to prison. So that's a fascinating story. Uh, yeah, I highly recommend that interview. So check those out in the in the show notes on the site, beautifulpodcast.com. And yes, again, use the coupon code BEAUTIFUL2021 if you would like a coaching session with me. And we can start going through your problems with uh, some methods and find different perspectives and try playing in the world. Try experimenting with some things that maybe you haven't done before that would give you a fresh perspective, that would show you that maybe the world is a lighter place than you'd previously suspected. Thank you so much and have a wonderful weekend.